Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Are you glad you came? Amen. Amen. I'm so excited to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it. Old Testament, Book of Ruth. It's only about, well, it is four chapters long, just a couple pages thick. So go ahead and get started now, and you'll find it when we start reading. I want to share with you today a message that we started last week. We'll finish next week. The title is, The Best is Yet to Come. I wonder if there's anybody in the 10 o'clock service that believes that. Amen. Amen. Come on, would you just say it with me? It feels good to say it. The best is yet to come. Here's what I want you to see in the Word of God today. Ruth chapter 2, what you're going to discover is that God is good whether you acknowledge it or not. Can, can I just say that to all, to all the uh, critics out there, for the, the skeptics, the pessimistics? Whether you acknowledge it or not, God is good. The Bible says God spoke with Moses face to face like he speaks with a friend. And Moses said, I want to see your glory. And I've known a lot of people like that. They said, well, if God would just show up, you know, if, I, if like an angel would visit me, if I could see the glory of God, then I would know, then I would trust, then I would believe. And so when Moses said, God, I want to see your glory, you know how he responded? He said, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. Because if you've seen the goodness of God, you know the nature of God. He's good. Is who he is. And so today, as we look in the word of God, we're going to see that God is good, whether you acknowledge it or not. For those of you that weren't here last week, and for those of us that have slept since then, let me do a little review. The story opens up in Ruth chapter 1 with a man named Elimelech and his family, his wife, Naomi, their two sons, Malon and Kilion. It's a time of famine in Bethlehem, and so they leave Bethlehem ironically, which means the house of bread, to go to Moab so that they can find something to eat. And what we see in that story is the, the, the danger of subtle compromises. In fact, verse 1 of chapter 1, Elimelech said he was going to go there for a while, just for a little while. But by verse 2, we find out his little while in Moab turned into him living there. And by verse 3, he died there. And it's a warning to every one of us that, that small compromises can end up being your whole life story really quickly if the compromises are moving you away from God's presence. And so by the time you get to verse 5 in the story, Naomi is living in Moab. Her two sons are both, uh, they've also died. And her husband died before them. And so she's there with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And, and she hears something. And this is the, the, a pivotal moment in the first chapter. In verse 6, the Bible says, Ruth, or Naomi rather, heard. And you know what she heard? She heard that God had been faithful this whole time back in Bethlehem. She heard that God was faithful. Some of you, you need to hear that. You had not been church in a long time. Maybe you've been a long ways. I'm glad you came this morning and we're declaring that God is good. That's what happened to Naomi. She heard for the first time in a long time. God has never not been good. And those that didn't run to Moab or other places during the famine, they discovered that God is faithful in the lean times just like he is in the times of plenty. And that was enough to convict her to go back to the house of God. So she, she gets ready to go back on the trip, and, and then she turns to her two daughters-in-law, and, and she encourages them not to go with her. Because she said, I, I don't have a husband. And both my sons, your husbands, have also died. And so there's no future with me. 
if, if you stay here, you might find another husband. Uh, if you go with me, I don't have any more sons that, that you could marry and fulfill what the Old Testament called the Leveret marriage law. So in other words, like I don't have another family member that could marry you to continue on your deceased husband's family name. You're not going to inherit the blessing of the property that our family has owned throughout the generations because the family dies with me. One of her daughters, Orpah, said, okay, makes sense to me. And she goes back to Moab. But the other one, Ruth, takes center stage in our story because in Ruth 1.16, she makes this covenant with her mother-in-law. And she says, I'm going where you're going. And I'm staying where you're staying. In fact, I'm dying where you're dying. And then the most important part of the covenant, she says, and your God will be my God. And so Ruth and Naomi, they, they head back about 50 miles through rugged terrain over mountains, maybe a mile high, and they get back to the house of bread. They get back to God's presence. They get back to the place of his blessing. But when they get there, Naomi doesn't recognize the goodness of God. In fact, when the ladies in town saw her coming after all these years, they said, is that Naomi? Her name means pleasant. And she said, no. No, I, I'm not the person you once knew. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, because Mara means bitter. And so we saw at the end of the story last week that, that Naomi, though God had faithfully provided uh, for her a daughter-in-law and a way back to the house of God, she was blinded to God's goodness. And again, there's people like that in the church today. You're, you're here in God's house. You're with God's people, but you just can't see his goodness in your life. What you're going to see in this next chapter is that whether you see it or not, God's good. Amen. And the best is yet to come. It's interesting that chapter one begins with a famine and moving away from God's presence. It, it ends with them coming back into God's presence. And the last verse of chapter one says it was harvest time. The barley harvest had come in. And so now we get into chapter two this morning. And, and right here at the beginning of chapter two, it emphasizes two of the greatest blessings in Naomi's life. She doesn't recognize the blessing of God, but they're standing in front of her. And can I just say to all of us outside of your salvation, the greatest blessings of God in your life are people. It's people. Look, look around you. Sometimes we get so uh, enamored with the things of this world, but God's blessing is in the people of God. So, so look at it with me. We're going to meet these two people. Verse 1, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. Remember, that's her husband, Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. That name, Boaz, means in him is strength. So this guy is a strong man. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of character. In fact, years later when King Solomon would build a temple to house the presence of the Lord, he named one of the pillars Boaz. This was a man of strength. It says not only was he a man of strength, but this verse says he was a man of standing. In other words, he had, he had wealth. He had influence. He had prominence in the community. He's a man of standing. Can I just give some free advice to the single ladies this morning? If you're looking for a man, find a man of standing. Not a man of lying around. A man of standing. I know phonetically there's not much difference, but in the reality, there's a huge difference between Boaz and Bozo. Like... 
You want a man of standing. But here's the most incredible thing about this guy we read in verse one. Boaz, it says, is a living relative on her husband's side. Now, if you're, if you're reading this story for the first time, th- this is a bombshell revelation because in chapter one, she told her daughters-in-law, don't come with me because I don't have any more men on my husband's side. There's nobody else to carry on the family name. And all of a sudden, now she doesn't know about Boaz yet, but the writer chose to let us in on what was happening and and tell us about Boaz right here. I mean, Naomi, she's convinced her future is going to be childlessness. Uh, She's not going to have an heir to pass on the family property to it. She's going to lose all that. When when she dies, she's going to be defenseless in her old age. But right here at the beginning of chapter two, we realize while she says, call me Mara, I'm just bitter. No, God's never going to look at me again. God has turned his face against me. We realize it's not quite as dark as she's painting the story. There's a man on her father's or her husband's side named Boaz. And here's the thing about Boaz. He's not a new revelation. Like, like, in other words, he's not a 16-year-old kid that was born while she was living in Moab. Like, oh, I didn't know y'all had a son. No, he's an old man. He's been, he's been there the whole time. And here's why that's so important, because I've met so many Christians, had so many conversations with people that they go through a difficult season. They go through tough circumstances. And, and then here's the rationale. They go, I just need God to do a new thing. I just, I just need, I just need, I need revelation. I need God to do a new thing. I need God to tell me something I've never heard before. Now, here's the good thing about God. If that's really what you need, he, he makes all things new. He's not out of ideas. He can do a new thing. But maybe, just maybe, what you don't need is new revelation. What you need is to open your eyes to the old revelation that God has been faithful the whole time. The whole time. That was actually Israel's problem. And and we said this last week, but the book of Judges tells a 400-year history of Israel. And then right at the end of that 400 years, it's like the the Holy Spirit inspired the writer, probably Samuel, to, to write Ruth. And he zooms way in. And he tells us one family story, but their story is indicative of what was happening in the nation. If you go back to the beginning of Judges, you see the problem. One of the saddest verses in the whole Bible, I believe, is Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. Many of you know the story of God's faithfulness uh, in the wilderness with Moses leading the people some 40 years. And then he hands over the reins of leadership to Joshua. And Joshua takes them across the Jordan River and they, uh, they take down Jericho and then the next place and the next place. And they possess the promised land. But then you get into Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 and it says this. After that whole generation, after Joshua's generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And that reality that they forgot the faithfulness of God. They forgot all the things God did. It sent them on a downward spiral, a sin cycle, where they began to turn to their own ways. And we looked at the verse last week at the end of Judges. It says, in that time, there was no king and everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. 
And they would get to a place of desperation and call on God and he'd raise up a judge and somebody would set them free and deliver them and turn their hearts back to righteousness and then they'd forget again. And the cycle continued over and over for 400 years. And Naomi here, as we look at their personal story, she doesn't need a new thing from God. She doesn't need new revelation. What she needs to do is take an inventory of the goodness of God in her life. And I want to encourage you, you might need to do the same thing today. You might be overlooking Boaz. God's been faithful. He's been providing. He's been blessing you. And we've got to see it. So look at verse 2 with me now because this is the other blessing that Naomi's overlooking. Her name is Ruth. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose favor, in whose eyes I might find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. Now here's this young woman that left her home, she left her family. She left everything that was familiar and she, she clung to Naomi. She said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die where you die. I'm going to serve the God that you serve. And th this is not like some fearful uh, young girl that just like, well, now my husband's gone. And so I'm just going to hang onto your coattails and cling to you. No, this is an assertive young lady. I mean, they get into town and right away she's like, let me get to work. I'm, I'm here to pull my weight. I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. And apparently, she had already learned, probably from Naomi, about a, a, a welfare system that they had in the culture in Bethlehem. And the welfare system was basically that when the farmers would go out and they would harvest the grain in the fields, they were not to harvest the edges, the corners. Leave the corners. In fact, the word talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 19. It says, you know, when you go out and you take the grapes from the vine, only harvest them once. Don't double back. Whatever you missed, leave it. Leave it there for the foreigner, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And when you, when you get the olives out of the trees, just harvest them once. Don't go back and make sure you didn't miss anything. Leave it there. That was the, the welfare system of the day. And so Naomi's blessed to have Ruth because she hits the ground running. She's like, let me go out, find a field. I'll find something for us to eat. She's ready to provide. And, and as the chapter plays out, what you're going to see is that Ruth is actually a, a beautiful example for us to follow of what godliness ought to look like in the waiting. Look at verse 3. It says, so she went out. She entered a field. She began to glean behind the harvesters. That's what they called it. Gleaning was picking up the scraps, whatever, whatever, they, didn't, whatever they didn't get. And then here, here's my favorite phrase in the whole chapter. As it turned out. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of her deceased father-in-law. This is the second time the writer tells us. Again, Ruth has no idea who this guy is or that he even exists. But the writer lets us know, hey, there's a guy. He's in your, in your father-in-law's family. He's wealthy. He's a man of standing. He's a Boaz, not a bozo. And as it turned out, of all the places she could have gone, as it turned out, Ruth is working in his field. I think the reason that the writer let us in on it without letting them in on it was so that we could see this powerful lesson. There are no coincidences with God.
Never once in all eternity past has God been surprised. Just doesn't happen. Never has he been shocked. He's never had a coincidental, he's never said, didn't see that coming. Not once. There are no coincidences with God. And so I love this phrase, as it turned out. I was thinking this week about the first time my wife uh, ever laid eyes on me. <laughs> Wait for the good part. You know what she said? First time she ever saw me. Seriously, true statement. She said, that guy needs a haircut. That's what she said. That guy needs a haircut. But it wasn't, it wasn't too long after that that she slipped over at a friend's house and her friend invited her to go to church with her. So she went to church on a Sunday morning and God got a hold of her life. She got saved. Now that could have happened anywhere, but as it turns out, <laughs> her friend brought her to the church. My dad was pastoring. And that, that crazy guy uh, on the basketball court that looked like he needed a haircut didn't look half bad playing on the worship team under the anointing. <laughs> so let me just say to all the guys, single guys, you always look better in the presence of God. Secondly, a haircut helps, okay? Don't miss, the, don't miss that part either. A haircut helps. But as it turned out, this Tuesday, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary. Yeah. There's no coincidences with God. The Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And, and maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm, I'm at a place of confusion. I, I'm at a place where I don't really know what God is doing or where God's taking me. I want you to be encouraged by this story. Your, as it turned out, moment is coming. It's coming. And, and it might be an aha moment for you, but it's certainly not for God. This past Monday, uh, we're getting ready for New Life Sunday. You heard it in the announcements. Uh, on October 1st, we're going to be water baptizing believers, and we can't wait to celebrate with those of you that are stepping, uh, out, stepping out in your faith and getting baptized and uh, families that are dedicating their children to the Lord. But part of that celebration is going to be uh, recognizing new members that are joining the church. So last Monday, I was standing right here, and I was telling the new members the story about what happened 10 years ago when my wife and I were praying and asking the Lord to direct our steps because we knew that God was calling us to pastor a church. We started to get a vision for what the church could look like. We knew when. It was time. We had no idea where. And so we were just praying, and, and we told this last Monday that story again of, of how we, we took a step of faith, and we put our house on the market, and, and our house sold immediately, and so we agreed that 30 days from now, you know, we're, we're, we're moving, we're stepping out, we turn over the house keys, turn over the church keys, and, and during that 30 days, we prayed, and we believed God, and we did the research, we did the work, and 30 days came, and 30 days went, and we still didn't know where we were going. We got up that Sunday morning. And we said goodbye to our church that we had served for 10 years. And we said in hindsight, we felt like 
like Abraham and Sarah in Exodus 12, where God calls Abraham to go to a distant land, I will show you. Like, so Abraham packs up and he goes not knowing where he's going. That's what we felt like in that moment. But we stepped out in faith. But as it turned out, the same day that we were standing behind a pulpit saying goodbye to our church family in Texas, not knowing where we were going, the pastor of this church, unbeknownst to the leadership or the membership, stood up that same morning and resigned. And so as we stepped out on nothing, God opened a door for something that he had in mind all along. As it turned out, the best was yet to come. And some of you need to grab a hold of that today and, and, and not live by your feelings, but, but live on the confidence of the one who's leading you. There's no coincidence with God. So, so Ruth now, she's, she's gleaning in the fields of Boaz. And look at verse four. It says, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, they answered. This is the first time that Ruth lays eyes on Boaz. Never seen this guy before. Still doesn't know he's a family member, but she sees him now. And you know what she sees? She sees him blessing his staff. Can I just say, you can always know more about a guy by the way he acts at work than you will by the way he acts in church. I don't know why I'm, why I'm shoveling out free uh, dating relationship information, but just take it, okay? Okay, that, that's, that's why you should, you know, go hang around with his family. Go hang around with his friends. Uh, don't worry about how he treats you. You're getting the best version. See how he treats everybody else. And she sees Boaz, and this guy is blessing his staff. And then Boaz sees Ruth for the first time. And immediately he asked his worker in verse five, Boaz asked the overseer of the harvester, who does that young woman belong to? Now, I don't know if he said it just like that. <laughs> but he didn't hear her say anything. Apparently he didn't need to. Verse six and seven give us some powerful truths about Ruth that I, I think... Again, they make her exemplary. Every one of us could follow her example because when, when Boaz sees her, when Boaz begins to bless her, what he finds is that she's humble, she's hardworking, and she's walking with the Lord. L look at the text there, verse six and seven. The overseer replied to him, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi, small town. News travels fast. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and she has remained here from morning till now, except for a short little rest in the shelter. So here's the first thing I love about Ruth that makes her so attractive in this moment. She's humble. Like the law says she can glean from any field. In fact, it would be against the law for them not to let her, but she doesn't come in with arrogance. She doesn't come in with a spirit of entitlement. She doesn't come in saying, let me get what I deserve or what is rightfully mine. She says, please let me glean from your fields. Not only is she humble, she's hardworking. 
He says she got here early in the morning. She only took a little break in the shade for a moment. In fact, when you get down to verse 17 and 18, it says she worked from sunup all the way into the night. And when she was done harvesting the barley, she separated it. She put the grain in a sack. She weighed it at 30 pounds. She put the sack on her back, carried it all the way home to Naomi's house. So this woman's hardworking. I love that. You know, oftentimes in the church, we, we, we talk about like the, the high bar of, of Christian womanhood as the Proverbs 31 woman, right? You read that before, Proverbs 31? That's a busy woman. It says about the Proverbs 31 woman, she gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family. She goes about her work vigorously. She watches over the affairs of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. It's a busy woman. And when I look at Ruth, I see a Proverbs 31 woman. She's humble and she's hardworking and she's walking with the Lord. Now you don't get that from reading verse six and seven, but Boaz does, because he's heard about her. And when the guy says who she is, he knows. This, this is the Moabite that came back with Naomi from Moab. He's already, he hasn't seen her yet. He didn't know what she looked like, but he's already heard about her. And so now he's ready to just unload blessing in her life. In fact, he tells her, he says, uh, listen, don't, don't go and glean in any other field. Just stay right here. You just glean in my field. You can glean all you want. In fact, stay with the ladies that work for me and work alongside them. And I've already told my men not to touch you. So you, you've got protection. And if you get thirsty, they've got these water jars that they've been filling up. That's for you too. You know, that's what it looks like when, when you walk in the blessing of God. She's humble, she's hardworking, and she's got a heart for God. And, and all of a sudden, blessing finds her. The question, if you want to internalize the message today is this, how will my blessing find me? Come on, there's so many people, they're like, you know, I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God. And by waiting, they mean I'm doing nothing. And they're making bargains with God. They're saying, God, if you'll do this, if you'll show up, if you'll give me this, if you'll promote me here, if you'll make that happen, I'll do all these things. But I can tell you, that's not the way it works. We all want the fruitfulness, but fruitfulness follows faithfulness. Fruitfulness follows Faithfulness, And so rather than standing and bargaining with God and saying, if you will, then I will. If you do, then I might. You've got to just be willing to be humble and hardworking and have a heart after God. Ruth doesn't even know who this guy is. Total stranger. Doesn't make any sense to her why he would be so kind, why he would bless her so much. But he tells her. He makes her understand in verse 11 and 12. He replied to her, I've been told about you and what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and, and you came to live with a people you did not know before. He knew all about this girl. And then here's the real key, verse 12. He says to her, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, he says it a second time, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. So Boaz makes it really clear to Ruth right here. You don't deserve my blessing and you haven't earned my blessing. What you have earned is the favor and the blessing of the Lord. 
because it's, it's him you trusted in when you left your family and your foreign country. It's him you trusted in when you followed Naomi to this distant place. It's him under whose wing you have come to take refuge. In fact, the next time she goes out, to glean in the fields, Boaz tells his workers, he said, hey, don't let her just pick up the stuff that you guys miss. Go ahead and throw some handfuls out on purpose. Like throw, throw some extra sheaves out so that you know, she's even more productive. M make it easier for her. That's what it's like when you're walking in humility with a heart towards God. He, he just goes before you. And things that shouldn't work out just start to work out. And I'm not saying life is a bed of roses when you're following Jesus, but I'm saying he's been better to you than you've taken inventory of. Goodness that you haven't even recognized because you're not as good as you thought you were. You didn't realize it's the goodness of God just laying it in your path. All those, all those things that, that we think we've done, the self-made image, the self-made man. No, 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 no. You, you, don't, you don't know about Boaz. He knows about you. But you don't know that Jesus has gone before you. And he's putting blessing in your life. He's protecting you from enemies you didn't know you had. He's watching over you. The Bible says in Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear or where you're going to sleep. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all this other stuff's going to be added. God says in Malachi chapter 3 to his people, look, when you put God first in your finances, he says, not, not only am I going to bless your finances, but he tells the people of God in Malachi 3, I'm going to prevent the pests from destroying your crops. Like, I'm going to prevent, the, I'm not just going to bless you with good things, I'm going to prevent the bad things. I'm going to make sure that your, your fruit doesn't fall from the tree before it's ripe. And there's so many people saying, God bless me, if you'll bless me, I will we need to understand today from the life of Ruth, fruitfulness follows faithfulness. She's doing what she can. Humble, hardworking, heart surrendered under the shadow of his wing. She gets back home to Naomi's house and she's, she's been invited to eat at Boaz's table. And so she, so she shows up that night. She's got a to-go box from dinner and 30 pounds of grain in her satchel and Naomi sees her and immediately she knows this is uncommon. This is, this is not normal. She said, whose field have you been gleaning in? Who took notice of you? That's what I wanna know. Who noticed you today? Because this is uncommon. And Ruth tells her, I met this really nice guy. He said his name was Boaz. And Naomi hears that name. And it's like the veil is just lifted. All, she was so blinded by her bitterness. All of a sudden, Boaz. How could I forget about Boaz? And so Naomi responds in verse 20. She says, the Lord bless him. The Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And then she adds, this is the third time we hear it in this chapter. She tells Ruth, that man is a close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. And all of a sudden now, finally, Ruth is in on the storyline. Ruth is going, wait a minute, you said, you said stay in Moab. There's no men. <laughs> what are you, what are, you mean to tell me 
that God was providing all this time, that this is one of your husband's relatives and he's been taking care of me and he's, he's filled my satchel and he's, he's provided for me. And, and honestly, I love that Ruth had no clue. I love that Ruth had no clue because it tells us the purity of heart in the difficult season. She's not trying to orchestrate things. She's not trying to manipulate the circumstance. She's not trying to get in with, with Boaz. No, she's just trusting the God that she heard about from a distance. And now she's come to the house of bread to seek provision from him. She's humble, she's hardworking, and her heart is surrendered to God. And as it turned out, the best was yet to come. Today, we're gonna respond to this word by doing something that's actually in the text. We're gonna take communion together in these next few moments. And uh, in fact, it, there's a communion cup in the cup holder in front of you. It should be near you if you're in one of the front rows, but I'd invite you to go ahead and grab that and just hold on to it for a moment. As we get ready to receive the elements, I, I need you to know something. Some of you, you know this already, but I don't want you to miss this. Boaz is one of those characters in the Old Testament that symbolizes Jesus. He, he's a type, a typology of Christ. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, this, this, this volume of 66 books, it, it's really just one story. It's all about Jesus. And so when you go through the Old Testament, you see certain characters that represent Jesus hundreds and even thousands of years before he was ever born in Bethlehem. Boaz, a Bethlehemite, is one of those Old Testament characters. He's kind of like Melchizedek, who Abraham brought his tithe to. He represented Christ, or, or like Isaac. Isaac was the one and only son who was sacrificed to God. He represented Jesus. Or like Joseph, who, who was betrayed for a bag of silver, only to later rise up from the pit and save the nation. Boaz is one of those characters. And so if you know that, and you know that it's not just about one lady's family's genealogy being extended through a kinsman redeemer, but in fact, it's a part of the greater story of God's redemption through our redeemer, then it's really easy to understand the significance of what happens in verse 14 of Ruth chapter two, because after Boaz realizes who she is and he tells her, look, I don't want you to go looking anywhere else for provision, stay in my field. That's what Jesus says to us. You don't have to go to anywhere else. Look no further. I'm your provider. And he says, I I'm going to protect you. I've already instructed my men. No one's going to touch you. You're taken care of. I'll satisfy your thirst. They're filling the water pitchers right now. If you're thirsty, I'll satisfy your thirst. And then Boaz invites her to his table. And that's what Jesus does for us. He invites us to come to his table. And I want you to see verse 14 in the text. It says, at mealtime, 
Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. See, see, when you recognize who he represents, it's really obvious the picture is the moment of communion. Saying, I, I, wanna, I wanna fellowship with you. And so we know, because of Jesus' instructions at the Last Supper, what these emblems of bread and the fruit of the vine represent. He said, this represents my body that was broken for you. It represents my blood that was shed for you. And then he invites his disciples to partake. And he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. So when we eat the bread and we drink the juice, we're not just proclaiming, look what the Lord did. The Lord, through his death, provided for my sins. He provided forgiveness for me. And not just forgiveness for me, but healing. That's why confidently today, we prayed for those that are sick. Today, we, we unashamedly said he's too good to not believe because the Bible said 700 years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem, Isaiah the prophet said he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement that would bring us peace was put on him. And then he said, by his stripes. The stripes they would lay on his back with the Roman flagrum. We are healed. So every time we, we eat the bread and, and drink from the cup we're we're declaring what the lord has done but it's more than that he said as oft as you do it you proclaim my death until i come so when we take communion what we're also saying is he's coming what we're also saying is the best is yet to come he's coming so today, I, I want to invite you to go ahead and peel back that clear cellophane layer and remove the wafer if you haven't already. If you pull back on that plastic tap, uh, you, you can get to the juice in the cup. I want to just pray a prayer before we receive these elements together. And, and, and as you're preparing for communion, let me say, th this is available for anyone and everyone. But for some of you, it, th this has to be a first step. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I'm not, I'm not following God. I'm not a Christian. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm listening, but I'm not following Jesus. I want to encourage you, if, if the Holy Spirit has tugged at your heart in this message today, if, if you've related to uh, Naomi and, and said, I, I got I to get back to God's presence. Maybe you've never walked with the Lord, or maybe you've just been in Moab for far too long but you're coming back today, can I encourage you to not just let this be Christian symbolism? It's so much more. Let this be a declaration of faith today. That when you receive the bread and when you receive the, the juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, more than just these emblems, I would encourage you today, pray with all your heart, Jesus, I receive you. I want you in my life. If you're far from the Lord today, even as we receive these elements, I want to encourage you to let this be a, a declaration of faith that says, Jesus, I recognize I don't deserve 
I don't deserve a seat at your table. We looked at the verse last week. The scripture told God's people, have nothing to do with the Moabites. They, they were a pagan nation. They, they sacrificed their children to false gods. And God was trying to establish for himself a holy and a set-apart people. And so like, like Ruth, we have to recognize, I, I don't deserve to be here. But he welcomes you anyway. So I would encourage you today to say, Jesus, I, I repent of my sin. I acknowledge I am not worthy. But you invite me. So I come. And Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I make you the Lord of my life. My prayer today, my prayer for you this week has been in verse 10, where she asked him, she said, why have I found such favor that you notice me? You know, I, I still feel that way. After walking with Jesus for all my life, I still feel that way. Why have I found favor that you would welcome me? But he does. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, right now, all over this room, we, we come to the table. We come to what you have prepared for us, a way of salvation, a way of redemption, a way that our sins can be paid for. Your word declares there is no cleansing from sin without the shedding of blood. And all through the Old Testament, we see the types and the shadows as lamb after lamb and dove after dove and bull and goat were laid on the altar until a perfect spotless lamb could come to be a once and for all sacrifice. Jesus, you are the lamb of God and you laid your life down for us. And we thank you today that we can come to the table. And so right now by faith, Lord, we receive we receive Jesus, more of Jesus. We don't want to look to other fields. We want to be satisfied in your provision. We look to you, Jesus, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We receive of your goodness, and we acknowledge your goodness today. In Jesus' name. Now come on, by faith and with confidence, let's receive the emblems of his body and blood.